The message you're about to hear has been made possible by the continued financial support of the friends and partners of Faith Hill. To find out more about how to become a partner, be sure to visit faithhill.tv. Why don't you hold your Bible, lift it up, shout, this is my Bible. I believe what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter. Uh, A a what? A doer. Not just a hearer. Today, I will learn from God's word. And my life will never be the same again because faith comes by hearing and hearing by y'all good. Man, I'm sorry about that. Let's go to Romans chapter number one, verse 21 in the New King James Bible. Today we are talking about something awesome. We're talking about praise and thanksgiving. Uh, which is an antidote to fear. Amen? Uh, We live in a generation and a society where people uh, just, you know, uh, love to complain and gripe and mama about everything. Amen? And yet God has called us to live a life of thanksgiving. I think the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8, it says, give thanks to the Lord for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Amen? So we ought to give thanks in everything. Uh, to God and not be uh, murmuring and complaining. So Romans one twenty one, I'm going to read in the New King James Bible, then I'll, le- I'll read in the New Living Translation. It says in the New King James Bible, uh, uh, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became uh, fools. I like to call this the progressive steps towards spiritual retardedness. It says in, um, in the same verse, in the New Living Translation now, uh, it says, yes, verse 21, it says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas. So this happens progressively. When you don't worship God and honor God and give him thanks, the next thing that happens is you start to think up foolish ideas of what God is like. You you start to minimize God. You start to, you know, when you are thankful, you are giving him the the credit and the Jew, that is Jew, his name and the things that he has done in your life. When you take that away from him, you start to have a different imagination. You start to have an imagination of a, of a God that's small and uh, uh, not able to do the things that he says uh, he can do. Amen? And the final stroke is this. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Did you see that? So if you read that in reverse, we are to worship God. It says in verse 21, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God even give him thanks. We live in a time uh, where scripture says in John 4:24, uh, a time is coming and now is the time uh, where true worshipers will worship God uh, in spirit and in truth. And it goes on to say, and the father 
seeks such to worship him. Amen? So God is looking for true worshipers, and the Bible tells us that these worshipers uh, worship him in, uh, in spirit uh, and in truth. I think it's verse 23, just before that. And then verse 24 tells us God is a spirit. Uh, and, 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 and so I wanted to know uh, what this worship looks like. Amen? Because uh, I also want to worship God. I, I know God, and I, I don't want to be uh, uh, amongst those who wouldn't worship him as God. I want to be amongst those uh, who will worship him as God. Now, the old uh, English word for worship is worship, which connotes worth or value. So when scripture says uh, for us to live a life of worship, it's saying for us to live a life of valuing God. We value God every single day. We value God in our decisions. We value God in our opinions. Uh, we value God in our life choices. Everything we do must be a life of uh, reflecting how valuable God is in our lives. Scripture says in the Old Testament, when Abraham was going up the mountain uh, to offer Isaac, uh, his only son, up the mountain as a sacrifice, he told the fellows that were with him, lads, stay here. Me and the young men are going to go up the mountain and we will yonder and worship. And uh, Abraham was not going up the mountain to sing a chorus. He was going up the mountain to worship uh, by going with a decision and going with what God had instructed him to. So you can uh, live a life of worship. In fact, uh, Rumbi was there. We were all in the same youth group. Man, I used to sing in, in the worship team, you know, the so-called worship. I used to sing in the worship team, and uh, one of my friends, Ronnie Hillman, came to me uh, one time when we were practicing, you know, for worship. He said, you know what, Tavar, I love you, man, and um, I think we will pay you not to come uh, and sing anymore. <laughs> I mean, he said, man, you don't have the voice. And immediately, the Holy Spirit spoke something to me. He said to me, worship is not all about singing. Singing becomes an expression, another expression of how we worship God, but true worship is the way you live. It's your lifestyle. True worship is depicted by the life choices you make. When you constantly default to God and to what he has to say and to his opinions, you are a true worshiper. Can I get an amen? I was saying in the first service, you know, a few months ago, I got uh, the privilege and opportunity to go and attend a, a football match uh, overseas. And, uh, you know, I went to watch my team. And before I went to watch this game, I, I, you know, I thought I was a certifiable fan, you know, of football. And then when I got to the stadium, I had a culture shock, you know, because not only did I find out that there was a select group of people uh, that came to the stadium every single week and traveled with the team across the country called season ticket holders. Uh, I also sat next to a fanatic, I mean, a real season ticket holder. He was almost getting mad at me for not being angry that the team didn't win, you know. I was just happy being there. <laughs> I didn't care about the score. I was just happy I'm in the house. I mean, he was taking it personal. And he said, man, this is a matter of life and death. In fact, the guy who was sitting in front of us had his oxygen tank with him in the stadium. It was truly a matter of life and death. <laughs> Amen. And then I started to read the bulletin. And in the bulletin, they had uh, what they called the top five uh, fans of the season. 
And one of the guys who was uh, uh, in the top five and they were going to select the ultimate season ticket holder of the season out of these top five. One of the guys in the top five was saying, you know what? I think I'm the season ticket holder because I've traveled with the team across the country and across Europe and across uh, England and I come to every home game. I think at the time he had attended about 42 games. I mean, and they pay tons of money to attend these games, you know. Uh, uh, a banker friend of ours was telling us that is the second most performing uh, product uh, with the banks in England after mortgages. So just under owning a house, the next most important thing is to go and watch the game. And sometimes the tickets are up to 2,000 pounds, okay, before the day, the mesh day ticket. Okay, just for you to know that you, you can buy a mesh day ticket. So, I mean, it's serious stuff. I had a culture shock. I mean, I didn't know what it, it was like out there. And then, you know, um, uh, while I was on, 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 on the stadium and I'm reading this bulletin, the one guy said, you know, I think I'm the season ticket holder because I missed the birth of my firstborn son uh, watching Arsenal versus Southampton. And I thought, ooh, that's quite a story. And the other guy was like, man, I think I should be the season ticket holder of the year because I missed my uh, uh, 10th wedding anniversary watching the game. And my wife understood. And I was like, man, that's a miracle. But what I learned from all of that and in analyzing the situation was that that was some type of worship. Though it's negative worship, I mean, these guys take what they do seriously. And their family know about it. They are you know, uh, work colleagues, because I then asked, how do you attend the midweek games? Because some of the games start at six, some of the games start at seven, some of the games are in a completely different country. And one guy told me, he said, man, when I was doing my interviews and, you know, taking a job offer, uh, when they got to the place where they said, do you have any questions for us? My question was, what's the company policy around season ticket holders? I would like to know. Because guess what? When I take this job, my boss that I report to must know that if the team is playing, I may have to leave at 3 p.m. I need to go and watch the game. And that's a negative form of worship. But if you bring it over here into the kingdom, when you get born again, you become a kingdom of God season ticket holder. And every other decision that you make should be centered around kingdom and not self. How many of you know that the job you take should reflect that you are a kingdom of God's season ticket holder? You know, I was trying to help someone a few months ago who worked at an abortion clinic. And I was trying to tell them that you need to quit because that's ungodly. And God does not bless you going there and performing abortions. I don't care how you pray and how hard you pray. Lord, bless these hands. He's not going to bless those hands because God is against abortion. And I said, man, you need to quit this job and find something that glorifies God. And they said, but Pastor T, what about the money? How many of you know that money is not as important as being obedient to God? Man, we're talking about worship here. What do we value in our hearts? Because whatever you value in your hearts, that's your, that's your object of worship. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> you remember uh, Joseph? Joseph is confronted with a crazy temptation. I mean, Potiphar's wife comes into Joseph's bedroom and say, man, you better touch me. And Joseph's scripture says, he ran. I remember preaching at a youth 
uh, uh, a camp back, back home, and, uh, you know, I was saying to the young people, you know, whenever you're confronted with uh, sexual temptation, you must run. And one boy sitting at the back said, Pastor, in which direction? <laughs> I said, away. <laughs> Amen. So Joseph, as he was running, Scripture says, he began to say these words. He said, why would I do such a thing against my God? Now, Potiphar's wife was Potiphar's wife, not God's wife, but he looked at everything and every decision relative to God's opinion about it. God and the kingdom of God was at the center of his decision-making. Can I get an amen? So when we're talking about worship, it's not just limited to uh, how we express ourselves musically. It's, it's true Bible worship is reflected in our lifestyle, our day-to-day decisions will reflect to you what's important to you. Is God important or is feelings important? Is God important? Remember the young rich ruler? I mean, that dude could have fooled almost everyone in here with his expressiveness in terms of worship. Scripture says he went to Jesus and threw himself at the feet of Jesus. I mean, the guy was expressive externally. He was lifting up his hands. He was crying. He was expressive. Everyone in this building could have looked at him and said, there is a true worshiper. This brother is a true worshiper of God because he was extravagant and expressive in his worship externally. But Jesus couldn't be fooled because he knew worship starts in the heart. Remember, Jesus said these words. He said, they draw near me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. How did he know that their hearts were far away from him? Because he looked at the decisions that their hearts were making. Hallelujah. Man, I'm telling you, you only see true worship based on the decisions that you make. So Jesus told the young rich ruler, okay, I see all of that. I see all the drama. I see all of that. All that spiritual, you know, express. I see all of that. But go and sell everything that you have and come follow me. Scripture says the guy went away sad at that saying because he had a lot of possessions. That's what it says in English. If you read it in Greek, it's because possessions had him. Possessions had his heart. Amen? So we need to live lives that are are consistently committed to making God valuable. They came to a point where Joseph, uh, uh, Joshua, had to address the nation of Israel. He stood up and he said, man of Israel, today... You're going to have to choose whom you will serve in Joshua chapter number 24. Because he was tired of a dualistic living where God is consistently being compared and, 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 and losing. To, to Some people have such a dualistic living, God is always losing. Whenever God tries to send them somewhere, self rises up to the same level. Moses, I want you to go deliver the children of Israel. Do they have internet in, in Egypt? <laughs> What's the weather like in Egypt? You know what's happening? Your own self, your own feelings is as important as God. Sure. How you feel about it. Can I, do I get a massage after the job? Do I get to be recognized by the nation of Israel? Because I've got to be recognized and at least get an honorary degree for uh, uh, delivering them from, from, from Egypt. No, the Bible calls us to die to self. Can I get an Amen. In fact, Jesus takes worship to an entire crazy level. When it comes to our commitment with God, he called this one disciple and he said to him, follow me. 
And the disciples said to Jesus, oh, wait here, and I'm going to go bury my father, and I'll come back, and I'll follow you. And Jesus said, disqualified. Can you imagine how high Jesus' standard is for you to be his disciple? You can't even go and bury him. He says, let the dead bury the dead. He went to another one. He says, why don't you follow me? Why don't you take my opinion on this matter. So Jesus presented two opinions to them, follow me or stay where you are. And most of them took stay where you are because that's what felt right. Or that's what was important according to the pop culture. Man, we need to go back to the heart of worship. You remember that song? He says, I'm going back to the heart of worship where it's all about you. Where it's all about Jesus. He says, I will bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required. You seek much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into the heart. What is God looking for in the heart? He's looking for people that are constantly valuing God over any other thing. Moses, he grew up in the lap of luxury in in, uh, Pharaoh's house. Can you imagine growing up in Pharaoh's house in the palace? And I mean, those guys would do it OTT. They would do it over the top. If you ever watched uh, Coming to America, you would know exactly what I'm talking about. The prince, they would look after the prince. Amen? So, I mean, Moses grew up in the lap of luxury, but when God called him out of it, he forsook all of that, and it's recorded in Hebrews 11. He forsook all of that just so he could be in God's will. And that's a worshiper. Amen? When Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were offered with two options, either to worship the gods uh, uh, of Nebuchadnezzar or to go with God, they went with God. And so Joshua stood up and he said, Men of Israel, choose today whom you will serve. The gods of the Amorites or the gods that your forefathers served or you're going to go with God Almighty. While you're making your decision, he said these words, As for me and my house, We already know what we are going to do. We are going to serve. We are going to worship. We are going to glorify. We are going to value God. That's what true worship is. True worship makes God big in your life. That's why we use words like kawe la makawe. You are making God big in your life. Amen? That's why we use words like we magnify you. That's why we use words like we exalt you. Think about it. If God is omnipresent, if God is everywhere, if God is the highest authority in all of the universe, where else can you exalt him out there? You can't. The only place you can exalt him or demote him is in your heart. And what's awesome about exalting God and making him big in your heart is that when crisis hits, you already have a big God. But when you make him small in your heart, when a Goliath shows up, Goliath is going to be bigger than your God, or at least your perspective of God. So worship helps us big and magnify God's perspective in our hearts. We make him a big God such that when cancer shows up, it's not a problem. You know why? Because God is bigger than cancer. But if God constantly has to fight against uh, 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 your hobbies, if God has to battle, man, it's a non-starter, making God big in your heart. Can I get an amen? If God has to constantly lose to your sexual desires, how many of you know that I can preach about sexual purity even, a grace, even in a grace church? Because that's what the Bible says. Yeah. Sex outside of marriage is fornication. I knew I wasn't going to get an amen. <laughs> but if God loses to your feelings, 
I'm telling you, the God, the perspective of God that you have in your heart is Molanyana. It's a small God. It's a Mickey Mouse God. And when crisis hits, you can't flip the switch and all of a sudden make him big. Okay, all right. Okay, okay, all right. Y'all don't like me anymore. I'm trying to help you. Man, you ought to make decisions everywhere you go that glorify God. You know, I was at a TV station that had given me free airtime. I'm not going to tell you which one. And... uh, you know, uh, my tenure was coming to an end for free, and we're transitioning to uh, uh, starting to pay money, and uh, we didn't have that kind of money. And one of the executives came to me and said, hey, uh, you know what we could do? We could go to Santon. I have a few business people that I think we can approach and uh, talk to them about supporting you and so on and so forth so we can keep uh, the program on the air. And I said to them, you know what? I can't do that. And they said, why? I said, because that's manipulation. That's getting into God's way. You know, I believe God has a mouth, and I believe the people that need to support us have an ear, and I believe they can talk to each other without me intervening. And I stood on that ground, and guess what? We were kicked off the air, but to me, it was more glorious, and it was more honorable, and I think it was worship. It was valuing God over myself. You know why? Because the executive went on to say, what are people going to think when you... You know, all of a sudden, come off the air. And I said, they're not going to think of anything. They're worried about stage four load shedding right now. (laughs) In other words, people are not spending their time thinking about you. But when you're focused on self, man, you think everybody's thinking about you. And this is why scripture calls us to die to self. Man, you ought to die to self. If you're going to be a true worshiper, the one that values God, you ought to die to yourself. And when you die to yourself, God can use you. Right at the center of all your decision-making is God. Right at the center of the universe is God. And he has to be right at the center of your worship. You're constantly valuing God. Do you know that right at the center of the five-letter word pride is I? And that eye can grow and grow and grow and grow. But scripture says you should die to self. In other words, I should die. And when I dies, guess who's living now? It's Jesus. And when you die, how many of you know that a dead man can't be offended? Amen? Oh, this one is going to blow your mind. How many of you know that a dead man can't be tempted? Oh, yeah, that's true. Because he's dead. Amen? He can't be tempted with riches. He can't be tempted with wealth. He can't be tempted with anything because guess what? He's dead to self. And God is calling us to live a life where we become so dead to self. If you win, praise the Lord. If you lose, it's still praise the Lord. I was saying in the first service, with this mindset of worship, you know, uh, last year I finished teaching at uh, Caris Bible College in Heidelberg. It was open week and Beth, she's one of the uh, boss is there. She came out to me and she said, hey, Pastor T would love to have you again next year. And I said, Beth, you know what? I said, what? I said, you don't have to have me next year. I don't want you to feel bad and feel like, you know, you have to invite me. I don't have to come. I mean, I, I'm not going to be mad at you, you know, for not coming. And I meant it. I was sincere. I told her, I said, I'm just so happy that you even thought about me. And I meant it. I was so thankful. I was so full of gratitude that she even thought about me. And I was translating that with thanksgiving and with worship to you. And I'm saying that if you get invited to a job and you're that kind of person, if you don't get a job, guess what? You're just so thankful that they even thought about you. 
If you get the job, guess what? You're still going to be thankful that they gave you the job. And when you are that kind of man or woman, you can't be defeated. Because you're dead to self. Amen? I said amen. So we have to come back to this place of constantly valuing God in everything that we do. We should look at it as, man, what, what, what's God's opinion around this? What does God think about this? And as we make those decisions, man, I'm telling you, God will begin to promote and just bring increase in our lives. Let's go to Psalm 100. We're going to read from verse 4. Thank you, Jesus. <coughs> Tell your neighbor, you, my friend, are <coughs> a season ticket holder to the kingdom of God. Amen. So everything else has to work around what God's will is for you. Not the other way around. I mean, I'm telling you, with those season ticket holders, they won't even plan a birthday party that clashes with the game. Because they know which one is going to lose. Amen? They're not even doing that. They don't even, they, they're not even doing that. Man, you should be so Christian, so, so committed to the kingdom of God that your boss knows they can even involve you in any of the schemes that go contrary to God's word. Yeah, that's right. They should know you're not participating. Yeah. If it goes against uh, 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 what's rightfully right according to God, they should know yeah. you're just not going to participate yeah. because you are so committed to God and yeah. you value your relationship with God to the point where you're just not going to do it. Yeah. That's right. They have to find somebody else to do it. Amen. You need to be so committed. I might get into trouble. You need to be so committed to God and that relationship that you won't even bribe a traffic officer. But how many of you know that when you are alive to self, you're quick to bribe because self must be, you know, you know. But if you mess up, if you catch me speeding, guess what? Give me a ticket. I'm going to pay for a ticket. I messed up. <laughs> Instead of, ah, 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 Can't do that. Can't do that. You know why? Because God is, God is big in your life. Is this making sense? Man, I'm trying to help you. That's a life of worship. And then it spills over into singing. Yeah, it doesn't start with singing. It starts with our decisions every single day. Amen? I said amen. It says uh, in Psalm 100 verse 4, we're talking about praise, worship, thanksgiving, and so on and so forth. It says in Psalm 100 uh, verse 4, uh, we shall enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving. And into his courts with? Praise, be thankful to him, be that. He's giving it as an instruction. Be thankful, be that. Be thankful to him and bless his holy name. Man, we approached, we are commanded to approach the Lord with praise and thanksgiving and not with griping and complaining. Even when Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, he says, pray this way. You shall pray this way. Our Father, you start with praise. You start by glorifying God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name or greatly to be revered is your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then you start asking, give us today our daily bread. Can't just show up from Latini, our Father, give us our daily bread. That's not how Jesus gave it. He said you start with praise. You start with worship. Amen? You even end with, with praise and with worship. For thine, O Lord, is the kingdom 
the power and the glory forever and ever. Man, we are to be thankful. We are to be filled with gratitude. You can always find something to be thankful for. Amen? Some of you are waiting for these big breakthroughs to come so that you can start being thankful. And I'm telling you, you are doing it in reverse. You should be thankful for the big breakthroughs to come. Some of you are thinking, Pastor, you don't really know where I'm at right now. I don't have anything. Well, let me help you. Look at your feet. Do you have shoes on them? Thank you, Jesus. Someone else, well, I don't have shoes. Do you have feet? (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Somebody else, well, I don't have shoes and I don't have feet. Well, breathe in and breathe out. Did you just do that? You can give God praise. Let everything that is breath praise the Lord. We have to use our breath to God's thanksgiving. Amen? I said amen. Let's go now to Acts chapter number 16 from verse 23 to 28. It's talking about Paul and Silas after they had healed that demon-possessed girl. You remember the story? She was a palm reader. It says in verse 23, and when they had laid many stripes on them, Paul and Silas, they threw them in the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. And having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, someone say at midnight. midnight. Well, let me just talk about that a little bit. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Nothing of spiritual significance around midnight. It just so happened that when Paul and Silas started praying and singing praises, the watch was at 12 o'clock. It's got zero spiritual significance. So don't be trying to wake up at midnight. There's nothing the midnight can give you that Jesus hasn't already given you. Amen? Amen? It just so happened, it could have been 1.30. Amen. <laughs> it could have been 6 a.m. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. When they started praying, it was at midnight. Yeah. And then they were singing hymns to God. Suddenly, how many of you realize that Paul and Silas had enough to complain about? Yeah. I mean, they just had been beaten for the right thing, for preaching the gospel and for setting this girl free. They could have been complaining. They could have been comparing their wounds sitting in prison. Look at your wound. Oh, man, look at mine. Mine is bad. Look at yours. They broke your leg. Oh, man, this is bad. No, they didn't do that. They started giving God praise and singing hymns. They, were, they still could find something to be thankful about. Yeah. Now, if they could find something to be thankful about, I can assure you, you can find something to be thankful about. Amen? Amen. The Bible says they started singing praise and, and, and hymns unto God, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately, all the doors were opened and everyone's chains. Someone say everyone's chains. <laughs> Not just them. Everybody gets set free when you stop complaining and murmuring. Everybody's chains. The kids' chains. The cousins' chains. The uncles' chains. Oh, Papa's chains, everybody's chains started being loosed because someone decided not to complain about it but give God thanks and praise about it. Man, that's good stuff. It says they fell off. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep, seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Verse 28, but Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Paul was saying, hey, we are not leaving. We're here. We're going to stay here. 
So brothers and sisters, you can be assured that Paul wasn't praying for a breakthrough. Paul's prayer was not, oh Lord, please get, out of, get us out of here. Paul's prayer was, oh Lord, you're just an awesome God. You're just so good. Your mercies endure forever. Your mercies are brand new every single Oh Lord, we are just in love with you. And as he was doing that, scripture declares in the Old Testament that God inhabits the praises of Israel or for, of his people. God comes, his manifest presence is released in the praises of his people. God left heaven and came into the prison with them. And the prison was too small for God. That's why everything was torn apart. So it was an incidental breakthrough. Sometimes to get the breakthrough that you really want, you don't have to pray about the breakthrough. You have to start thanking God about what you already have. And that's what Jesus did with the two fish and the five loaves. The disciples came and echoed in his ear, but what is this among so many? And Jesus said, I'm not going with that report. He looked unto the heavens and scripture says he gave thanks. And what was not enough before thanksgiving became more than enough after thanksgiving. I want to talk to someone who earns very little. I want to talk to someone who they have echoed and told you that you earn peanuts. You have a choice to either echo the same or to start giving God thanks for what you are receiving. And when you start giving God thanks for the little that is coming in, there is a multiplication anointing that's released on the few that you have such that it propels you into abundance. God always does more for thanks. Uh, people who give thanks, thanks, thank, thank givers, can I say that? He always does more for people who are filled with gratitude than for people who don't even pay attention to it. Remember the lepers? Jesus healed 10 lepers. And as they were going to show themselves to the priest, one of them realized that he had been healed. He came back running to the master. Scripture says he glorified him and he gave him thanks. And then Jesus turned around and said, were there not 10 that were healed? We are the nine. And Jesus made this conclusion. They were not seen that came to give God his glory. But for you, because you came back, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. So he moved from just healing into a place where God even gave him extra. He gave him wholeness. And if you study that word wholeness, it's the Greek word zoe, which is the God kind of living. Nothing missing and nothing broken. God propelled him into fixing everything else that was broken. Even in the natural. People want to do more for people who are full of gratitude. Man, if you're just that one of those people that just complain about everything, no one wants to do anything for complainers and gripers and so on and so forth. I remember the one time I was fixing the garden at the house. I was fixing the garden, and I fixed the, the pool, and I fixed that. I Man, I was, I was working. And then when I finished doing all the work, I came into the house, and my wife looked at me, and she said, thank you, honey. Thank you for fixing. Look at this garden, man. This garden looks uh, impeccable. Man, this is beautiful. You worked hard. Thank you. I, I felt like going back outside and just picking up pots and just, just, just move them around. Just, I felt like doing more. Like, is there anything else in this garden that I need to fix? Because I'll be the man. Are the lights broken? Man, it made me want to do more. Why? Because Thanksgiving always provokes an abundance. It provokes more. 
But griping and complaining, it robs uh, uh, the seed of the power to even produce more. Amen? This is why God is calling us to be thankful people. In fact, when God was listing in First Timothy, you can go read that at the house. When, when God uh, was listing, uh, the Apostle Paul was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, listing all these things that would happen in the end times. He began to say that there's going to be murders. There's going to be uh, people who will be lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. There's going to be uh, uh, people who do crazy things. And amongst those, he also said people will become unthankful. I mean, he put it in the same breath as killing someone. Just being filled with no gratitude. Just, you know, take credit for everything. Man, God hasn't called us to take credit for everything. He's called us to give him glory and to give him honor. Can I get an amen? Let's read one last scripture and then we'll be out of here. Second Chronicles chapter number 20 from verse 21 to 25. Someone shout, I I choose thanksgiving. Thank you, Jesus. Thanksgiving is your weapon in spiritual warfare. Amen? You don't always have to feel uh, the need to fight. Sometimes you just have to look back and start giving God thanks for the things that he has already done. Amen? I said amen. Amen. In fact, our little uh, uh, children... Uh, two of them, we teach them how to pray and, and we teach them spiritual warfare type prayer and, and this is how we teach them. We tell them, just thank God for everything around you. And man, they've been thanking God for, for mommy, for daddy, for grandma, grandpa. The prayer is just filled with thanksgiving. Lord, I thank you for mommy. I thank you for tonight. They start thanking God for their dolls. I thank you for Barbie. I thank you for Elsa. I thank you for LOL. I thank you. Now it's getting better with the older one. She starts thanking God for the weather. She starts thanking God that, man, I have good health. She starts thanking God that, hey, we have food to eat. And she starts thanking God for some real things. And I'm like, man, this is an impressive little prayer warrior. Mm -hmm. She knows how to pray. There's no complaining in her prayers. Amen? How many of you know that just because you start with uh, our Father and you end with in Jesus' name doesn't mean you were praying? (laughs) Because a lot of people start with our Father and then they start complaining. Oh, Lord, look at where I am. Oh, Lord, look at what the doctor said. Oh, Lord, look at my boss. Oh, oh, oh." in Jesus' name, amen. That wasn't prayer. (laughs) That was complaining. Yeah. Oh. Second Chronicles 20, 21 to 25. It's talking about King Jehoshaphat. <clears throat> King Jehoshaphat, he was going against a three alliance nation, that were army that was coming against uh, Judah. And I mean, he was, they, they were going to crush them. They were going to kill them. And uh, the Lord spoke to Jehoshaphat and he said to him, I want you to put the praise and worshipers in front of the army. Because this battle is not even yours, and this battle is going to be won spiritually. And scripture says in verse 21, And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, and who should praise the beauty of his holiness. And they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. God actually had to prescribe what kind of song he wanted them to sing. God actually told them, I want you to go out, put the praise and worshipers in front of the army, and this is the song that you should sing. Because if God had said, just put the praise and worshipers in front of the army and sing, someone would have sung something crazy. 
Oh, today we will perish. Today we will perish. Oh, today we will perish. Oh, today. We are in trouble. We are in trouble. Man, someone would have started singing about what they are going through. But God hasn't called us to sing about what we are going through. He's called us to sing about who he is. God never called you to sing about the Goliath in front of you. He called you to sing about who he is because as you start singing about who he is and focusing on God, God starts to get bigger because whatever you focus on grows. If you start singing about your problems, your problems will grow. But when you start singing about God, God will grow in your heart and your problems will shrink. It's like a seesaw. You can't glorify both. You're going to have to choose. When you glorify God, the problem, Goliath has to be down. When you start glorifying Goliath, God has to be down. It's like a seesaw. David's brothers were glorifying Goliath. Have you seen Goliath? They were singing songs about Goliath's biceps and Goliath's past victories. They were talking about Goliath's past victories. And David showed up on the scene and he started talking about God's past victories. Say, the same God that gave me the strength to kill the bear and the lion is the one that would deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into my hands. Nam Tlanje. Today, little boy running in the valley with a big heart. Filled with worship. That's why scripture, scripture doesn't describe David as a man with mighty power. It says David as a man after what? God's own heart. What gave David strength was because he was after God. Man, when you go after God, all you need to do for your business to succeed, the best business strategy I can give you before we get into the other smaller strategies is go after God with everything you have. Don't never go after profit. Always go after God. Always go after God's heart with everything you have, and God will cause you to win. And David was going after God's heart. He made mistakes, and he would still repent and come back and connect with God because he was going after God's heart. Amen? Man, we ought to strip everything else in life and go after God. Jesus said to the other guy, the disciple, follow me. And the man said, I need to go back home and take care of some business, and then I'll come back and follow you. And Jesus said, no man having put their hands to the plow looks back, is fit for the kingdom of God. When it comes to serving in the kingdom of God and and our worship to God, man, we put our hands on the plow. When God says jump, we jump. We don't add all the extra. It doesn't matter if there's no air conditioning. If God sends us, we're going. It doesn't matter if there's no money that we're going to get to our account, any earthly credit. It doesn't matter. We're just going to go and it will work out. God will make sure that he will take care of us. Amen? I remember when I uh, 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 finally realized that my job and my ministry were clashing tremendously. I had missed a conference because I had to be at work in India and I was working there, and I missed a conference that I was supposed to speak at at the church. And the one time, I think I may have been in China and so on and so forth. So there was a, a complete uh, tug of war between the two, and God was calling me to come into full-time ministry. And what that meant was I was going to lose 75% of my salary. But to me, it just didn't matter because God spoke clearly to my heart, and he said, this is what's important right now. And guess what? I left my job happy. 
I didn't come now over here and start complaining every single day. Oh, Lord, you bring me here. No, I was so grateful that God could even consider me to be one of his kids that gets the privilege and the opportunity to do his work. And because of that, God takes care of us. God looks after us. Amen? Amen? We are never fearful. We are never without. God just takes care of us. He just brings the stuff at the right time. I was sharing with some guys on Friday that we went out for dinner with, and I was saying sometimes I feel embarrassed to share the things that God has done for us when I travel, and I'm hanging around pastors, and we're eating, uh, and the other pastor says, oh, man, this is what's happening in my ministry. Nothing is happening. And the other one says, oh, man, this one left me, and I'm heartbroken. And the other one says, oh, this is what's happening. And then it comes to me, and I'm like, man. God, is, God has been good. And I feel like, man, I can't even share this because they're going to think I'm just bragging. Yeah. And I'm not bragging on me. I'm bragging on God. But that's what happens when you begin to value God. God will always deliver you. When you choose to serve God and not bow down to the gods of Nebuchadnezzar, man, God will protect you. Even when it's popular, according to the pop culture, everybody would understand. Oh, did he say he's going to throw you in, uh, in, in the lion's den? Uh, I think you should just bow down. God will understand. I think you can just bow down. God will understand. God knows lions eat people. You must use some common sense in this. And then we, you know, make decisions that don't glorify God. Because it's popular according to the pop culture. Man, I'm telling you. You are a season ticket holder to the kingdom of God. Everything should be centered around the kingdom, the word, God's assignment for you in the earth. I'm trying to help you. Is this helping you? So they began to sing, verse 22, now they began to sing and to praise. And the Lord, the who? Man, when you begin to sing and to praise, the battle is no longer yours. It is God's. Pastor, what if I make this decision and, and, and I lose this income? I think God can restore that income back to you. Amen? Man, you don't have to lower your standard. You need to have value in God. Amen? What if I lose this boyfriend? Man, God, God can get you someone better. I thought I was going to get an amen. Amen. Man, God can get you someone else. Pastor, he said if I don't sleep with him, he, he's going to leave me. Praise the Lord. Bless him on his way out. Yep. Man, you ought to have a standard. I'm telling you. You ought to have a standard in God. And when you do, God will make sure that you will not be ashamed in the end. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. He says, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah. And when they defeated, and when they were defeated, for the people of Ammon and Moab stood against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So there was confusion in the enemy's camp. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked towards the multitude, and there were dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found amongst them an abundance of what? Valuables. Did you read that? 
Man, there's always an abundance of valuables at the other end of being obedient to God and having a standard in God and worshiping God and making God valuable in our lives. Amen? I said amen. There were an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And there were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. And I have to stop because I'm out of time. Why don't you stand on your feet? We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv today.